RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, supplemental number 62, the one with Mike McMahon. Welcome into a supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson. Bet you weren't prepared for this. <laughs> Triple header Mission Log supplemental. Woo. What? We've never done that before. Thank you for joining us, Ashley. Thank you for having me. It was truly such a treat to be in the same virtual Zoom room as both John and Norman. And then to have Mike come and be so freaking incredible. This has been the best time I've had in I don't know how long. I cannot wait for people to hear this interview. Uh, Mike McMahon, creator and executive producer of Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, who was so generous with his time. And honestly, I think the thing that I come away from this with is this man loves Star Trek. Clearly. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Quite a lot, quite a lot. So I can't wait for people to hear it and to uh, look. If you're not part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash mission log, uh, go there because we'll post video there and maybe some of the uh, the unexpurgated parts of this because uh, I, I think maybe it was my fault. Uh, we didn't warn him that we don't have an explicit tag on iTunes. <laughs> so well, we, and we just like rolled now, right into it too. We just, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Please so, play uh, phaser sound over every time. <laughs> oh, do, oh, you know, you know what I like? I like the. Psh- from the doors oh, on yeah, TOS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that or buttons from the bridge, you know. But, but there uh, might be a run of special effects. Sounds like Yeah. But such fun, such fun to do this uh, with the two of you. The three of us got to collaborate on this. And, and Mike was just, uh, he was great. So what more can I say? Enjoy. Hey, Mike, I, I want to uh, kind of rewind a little bit, and I want to talk about uh, pre-Lower Decks. Uh, sure. And you mentioned Rick and Morty, and that, that was something that I felt like as soon as Lower Decks got announced, because, you know, far be it from Star Trek fans to form opinions before they've seen something. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, that never yeah. happens. No way. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's obviously uh, an important part on your resume is your, your time with Rick and Morty. But I think a lot of people sort of misinterpreted that and they thought, oh, the guy who created Rick and Morty, which is not you, yeah. uh, is suddenly going to do Star Trek, but do Rick and Morty in Star Trek. And, and it just became a, a, a whole mess of uh of assumptions and sure, yeah. and uh prejudgments about what this show is going to be so really two questions for you first of all i'm curious what it is that you brought to rick and morty what, what was your influence there sure. and then um when lower decks was announced uh did you kind of follow the the fan reaction right away or did you just put the blinders on and say look i'm going to go to work and do my thing Sure. Yeah. You know, to, uh, for the first part, the Rick and Morty part is, you know, Rick and Morty was co-created by Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon. And that was my that was one of my first real writing jobs. Um, and I, I think, you know, what you're referring to happens when you have a combination of a couple different storms that are combining. You have the storm of mm-hmm. people not quite understanding, you know, 
how TV is exactly made and what different kind of moving parts happen in it. And you also have, obviously, the fandom of Star Trek is a long and deep one, and nobody wants to be betrayed, you know, and we're always cautious about being betrayed because this is something you love. This is a part of your life. It's more than a show you watch. It's like it's a part of who you are. And when a new piece is coming out of it, is this something that you're going to have to dissociate from? Is this going to be something that you accept as a piece of who you are? Because you're a Trekkie or a Trekker or, or, or whatever, you, whatever you say. So, you know, with Rick and Morty, um, like, I get it. Like, nobody, nobody at CBS called me and said, hey, we want a Rick and Morty version of Star Trek. And nobody at Secret Hideout, Alex Kurtzman's company, asked for that either. And, and neither did anybody at Roddenberry. Um, the... Uh, just to take a step back, the thing I brought to Rick and Morty, because I started on Rick and Morty as a writer's assistant, and then as each season went by, I kept creeping up. Like, I was a writer's assistant, then a writer, then a producer, and then my last year there, I was show running. And mm-hmm. there was just a very large gap as they renegotiated this large deal for Rick and Morty where, you know, we weren't making Rick and Morty, so I had to do other stuff to kind of uh, put food on my, my family's table. So... And this is a common thing for writers is I was developing shows while Rick and Morty was renegotiating in hiatus. So when I went back to Rick and Morty to be showrunner, I had, I had Lower Decks to, to, in a very, very kind of early stage and Solar Opposites for Hulu in development. And then while I was writing or while I was showrunning and writing for Rick and Morty, they both got picked up to two season orders simultaneously, which oh, wow. is very unlikely. Uh, Usually you stack all the development you're doing because you're lucky if you get a pilot. You're lucky if they pick up that pilot to a a, to shoot an episode of it to to, you know to actually like to like commit money to seeing what it'll look like on the screen. And then you're insanely lucky if that pilot episode gets turned into a series. And then for me to get two two season orders of other animated shows simultaneously while I was doing Rick and Morty, I had to step away from Rick and Morty. Like it wasn't. It wasn't like I was looking to leave because I love Rick and Morty. Like I, I love sci-fi. I love those characters. I love working with Dan and Justin. Like Dan, especially writing with Dan is like, it's like a masterclass of writing from the funniest person. And it's like that every day. Like it's like, I became a much better writer working with him and Justin's voice acting and just like his artistic sensibilities. Like I learned so much from that too, of just like chasing joy and, and, just just injecting this kind of like wild kind of unexpected always staying ahead of the audience and having fun while you're doing it. And so, you know, when I when I initially went in, like I had when when Discovery had gotten ordered, there was a producer at Secret Hideout who had said, "Hey, I I know you from our Fox days. His name was Aaron Byers. Do you want to come in and meet to potentially write on this new show Discovery?" And I remember at the time I was in the middle of doing Rick and Morty season two. And I said to him, you know, I, I, you know, I love Star Trek and I'd, I'd written this TNG season eight Twitter and I'd written a Star Trek book at the time. And I said, but I don't think that I'm the right person for a drama Star Trek world building. Now, if you guys had already done a couple seasons and you'd already figured out, do they have gold, gold press latinum? (laughs) And do they have like, you know, like, what's the story structure? Then I can come in and I'll be like a B-story guy. I would love to do that. And I remember my agent being like, I want you to say to me that you're turning down Star Trek. I want you to say. <laughs> and I was like, first off, I'm not turning down Star Trek. It was a meeting. Uh, yeah. um, but, uh, 
But he was like, they were kind of astounded because it was like, I was like, I really love this show, Rick and Morty. And it was before anybody had heard of it before. You know, it was very early on. And I was like, they were like, wow, you're choosing Rick and Morty over Star Trek. That's crazy. Cut to a couple years later, they got it. Like, they understood why Rick and Morty was exciting to be there. Because I was there. Rick and Morty started, it was, it was Justin and Dan, Ryan Ridley, who is the lead writer, and then me. And it was the four of us writing the first couple episodes to prove that the show could get picked up. So I was there from the very nascent kind of early stages. And I stuck it out. Like, I just really loved that show. And then when, when Aaron then eventually said, hey... We're going to expand beyond Discovery. Will you come in and meet with Alex Kurtzman and Heather Caden and, and, and Aaron himself and just talk about what – they just wanted to have a conversation with me about what would my animated take be on Star Trek. And I remember going in there. I told my wife. I was like, oh, they're going to hate my take. Like I was like <laughs> – I was like I – because I, I was like I'd seen TAS and I, and I knew what Star Trek was supposed to be. Like, I had a definition in my head of what Star Trek was supposed to be. And I didn't think that I could make the show that I thought Star Trek was supposed to be. So I was like, since I, since I don't want to... And, and, and I don't want to pitch stuff that I'm not going to then end up not liking to make either. Like, I don't want to go in and pitch the perfect Star Trek, Star Trek show and then be like, I don't know how to make it, though. Like, because right. pitching and making are so different. And so... I went into this general meeting and I sat down and I was just like, listen, here's what I think would be an awesome Star Trek show that I don't think you guys would ever make. And I just off the top of my head was like, my favorite episode is Lower Decks. If you expand that concept into a world and you world build out, you know, what are the stories that you could tell about other, like not specifically those characters from Lower Decks, but like from the TNG episode Lower Decks, but like... If you, take, if you take what Lower Decks, the episode, says, is there's a whole world that we're not seeing in, in Star Trek that's there all the time. That's where Deep Space Nine comes from. You know, like, that's, that's the idea that Star Trek is a genre and not a show, right? And I was like, what about... I basically pitched exactly Lower Decks. I was like, it would be 22 minutes animated with beautiful backgrounds, but with primetime animated character designs so that from a distance, you knew it was a comedy. Like, that was a big deal for me was that it had to look like a comedy, like, if you saw it printed out on a sheet of paper without any audio or anything like that, you know? So that's why we... I was very comfortable with the, you know, working in the the primetime animation kind of style with the big expressive eyes and that kind of stuff. So, you know... Alex, at the end of that meeting, turned to Heather and Aaron and was like, well, I guess we have to make another animated show. Because they were only <laughs> planning on making a kid's animated show at that point. Yeah. Um, but he could tell, and I've had a lot of conversations with Alex where he could tell that I had a really personal relationship with Star Trek. And that I had a really confident view of the kind of TV show I like to make. And he was right then in the business of finding other people to make Star Trek shows that felt personal, but felt Star Trek. And that, he didn't put guardrails. Like, I think it's amazing to have the confidence that he didn't put guardrails on that. That he took a chance on Lower Decks and seeing it through. Because it's it's not easy to say, hey, let's make a comedy Star Trek. That's, that's animated and half the amount of time of any other Star Trek that's been on air. You know? Um... But he knew he knew somebody who loved Star Trek when he heard it, and I've I've really that's why working with him and with All Access has been amazing because Lower Decks doesn't fit into the schedule on a regular network. Like, where do you put this show 
if you have to figure out what shows come before and after it, because there's never been a show exactly like it. And how do you fit that into a broad, like, is this a show that airs on Wednesdays at 7 or on Sundays at 9? Like, what advertising would be on this show? Like, do you have to worry that people saw the episode before? Like, this series doesn't exist without streaming networks needing content that you know you have to click on to watch. And I'm constantly telling that to the network when we're breaking stories, too, as well, is that Lower Decks comes at you fast, it comes at you hard, and it doesn't care if you miss something because you're going to have to go back and watch it again. And networks are not used to making shows like that. They're used to making shows that you can put on and kind of make dinner while you're watching because you can't always sit down and dedicate the time to watching a show. And a lot of the time, the old way of thinking is if an audience is confused, they're going to change the channel. And I think that if an audience guesses what's going to happen in an episode before it happens, that's when they're going to change the channel. And that's a very, yeah, (laughs) like that's a very Rick and Morty, that's a very BoJack, that's a very modern take on making TV is that you're not catching an episode, you're going somewhere and you're clicking on it and you're seeing every one of them that you want to watch. And so Lower Decks is aggressively, we fill that time. We only have a certain amount of minutes. And people don't get this right either. People are like, why can't this show be 40 minutes? And it's because every second of animation costs a certain amount. So we don't have a time limit. We have a budget limit. And sometimes we can stretch that. Like in the movie episode, I had to call the network and go, listen, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I swear to God, I want to do an extra minute, which in animation time is immense. Yeah. I, wanna, I need an extra minute of budget. And they were like, why? <laughs> it's like, because I just want to go around the Cerritos over and over again. Yes. yes. And they were like, they're, damn they're, right you do. They were yeah. like, it's already in the episode doing that. And I was like, yeah, but I need it to happen for so long that it feels <laughs> insane. And, and they were like, <clears throat> they were like, I was like, it's for the movie episode. And. They were like, okay, we get it, because a lot of them were TMP. You know, they, a lot of them had seen the motion picture. Yeah. And then I was like, I also want you to release a movie length, a two hour and 10 minute version of this episode, where almost <laughs> two hours of it is just circling the show. Oh my and they were God. like, we will nice. not do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, come on, I they understand. have to. I get you on that, but. <laughs> I will say, though, you have now spoken that into the ether. Somebody will do that, and they will put oh, it on the internet. Oh, yeah. so please put like. Tag Mike put in an, it. <laughs> put, 10 minutes of opening credits, 10 minutes of ending credits, and two hours of the ship sequence. <laughs> Maybe 40 minutes of the crashing sequence. Yes. Um, yes. But, um, We're cutting back to Billups, like, just basically wiping tears away from He's just, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 15, yeah. 20 minutes of just Billups weeping. Oh, we have a... <laughs> and then to answer your other question, um, you know, the audience's reaction, I remember, like, I knew, listen, I had already released a Star Trek book, and it was to, like, thunderous, echoing silence. And I was like, okay, comedy, <laughs> nobody's begging for Star Trek comedy. Like, know your but, audience kind of thing. But, but that's like, it, by the way, that, that book is Warped, uh, an engaging guide to the never-aired eighth season, which uh, came from your Twitter account. The it did. DMG it was season a fake eight. guide, yeah. I'm a yeah, proud yeah, owner of hilarious. a signed copy. Oh, thank Ooh. you, Ashley. No, yeah. Thank you. Nice. Well... But uh, but I knew that, you know, and, 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 like, I'm no dummy. Like, I knew this coming out, It the print media advertising for this show, I spent almost as long as, like, working with the the folks in, at, at All Access and, and at CBS, making sure that it, it, it fit the same kind of theme of the show, which was, this is comedy, it's animation, but it's also fully Star Trek. And that you 
the balance always has to be there. So if you go back and look at the first images that we released of the Cerritos, which are based on some posters, like we even added the crease lines that I mm-hmm. used to like, you know, that was because I was like, yeah. yeah, and it was I was kind of like, you know, everything is digital right now because we're all trapped inside because we were doing that during COVID. <clears throat> and I was like, let's add some physicality to it. Like, let's make it yeah. feel like something. I like things that feel like an artifact, you know, and. So you look at that image of the Cerritos, then you look at that image of the main poster with the main cast, and you kind of you kind of can't tell what the show is going to be except for the character designs. Like there's nothing in those posters that's trying to be funny, you know. It it is just what it is. Um, but I knew that I knew that what was going to be hard was the trailer. When we release the trailer, there's no way to make a trailer for this show because if you pick the funniest moments, people will think the show is trash. And if you pick the not funny moments, people will think the show is trash. And if you pick both of those moments all together, that's just an episode of the show. Like, that's not a trailer. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, because comedy is all about timing and context. And, you know, you can't, like, I, that was another thing is I worked with the folks making the trailer. And we, we worked and we worked and we worked and we worked. And I was finally just, just like, you know, guys, I think you got to just do what you, what you guys think you want to do on this because I don't think there's any way until the first season of this show is aired for people to really understand that it's somehow a comedy that also takes place and is careful about the rules within the thing that it's kind of having fun with. Like, that's hard to explain. Um, and... And then the trailer came out and people lost, you know, people lost their minds. Like, you know, the loudest, angriest people are always the ones who come to the forefront on Twitter. Uh, and I was kind of like, I was kind of like, just hold on. Like, let's just, let's just see how they feel at the end of the season. Because I was even like, you know, pilots are hard. I actually love the pilot for this show. I, I, I see a lot of people complaining about it where they're like, it's not as good as later episodes. And I'm like, 22 minutes, setting the tone, setting the characters, setting the world, having it be funny, having amazing music, having the visuals be great. We did it during COVID. Like, get off my back. <laughs> Is any you know? pilot, though? I mean, of course it should be good. You yeah. have growth and time and expertise. I know. I mean, <laughs> the pilot for Lost is amazing. You know, I think the pilot for Ted Lasso is really great, actually. I'm really loving that show. Mm-hmm. So, is, so is the pilot for uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Like, look, you can get a great pilot. It's it's hard though. Lower Decks and is a great pilot. I hope you know that. Like it is thank truly. You. I, yeah, I messaged yeah. you after I watched it, and I was like, "Oh my god, Mike, it's so good!" And like that was. And, and Ted, and Ted Lasso I, needs three episodes. You need three episodes of Ted Lasso. Uh, not for me. The first episode of Ted Lasso, really? I was like, "This show is more Starfleet than my oh. Star Trek show." <laughs> I, isn't it though? Oh, yeah. It's I, so have you finished Starfleet. the first? Have you oh, finished, yeah, finished the first the season? Thing. Dude, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. It's so good. If you love Star Trek, watch Ted Lasso because that is Starfleet. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> but but yeah, I basically everybody on the show was like, you know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna look at any toxic responses until the end of the season because you don't want to not you don't want to be divorced from your audience. You want to be entertaining. You want to know that the people the people have seen what you've done and that they either appreciate it or they have notes. Like you know, I even see some things that people post where I'm like, oh yeah, I will be more careful with the way we represent that and this kind of stuff. But like the 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 headline is 
we were fucking right that people went from being like, <laughs> I don't get this show, I don't think I'm into it, I don't think I want to watch it, to now people being like, literally posting images of like gifts of people eating crow, being like, I gotta eat crow, I love this show. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's but that means, awesome. that, but that means, Mike, you know, you know the pulse of what's going on with the Star Trek community. I mean, it's always been that way. Like, you know, with TNG mm-hmm. launches, everyone comes to a head, and then all of a sudden, everyone settles down, and so on and so forth. So you know that that's gonna happen when you launch a new series. It still, right? sucks though. Like it, it sucks because it's like <laughs> it you want to tell people i promise we didn't betray you and they're like no yes you did and we're like no we didn't i swear to god and you know we even went to star trek vegas last year and we like got up in front of a room full of people that didn't want us there that did not want to hear about a star trek cartoon that was having fun and i just brought my writers who weren't star trek fans when we started writing that were just comedy writers but who across the course of the season would literally like tear up talking about episodes they had found. Also, you wearing know, like, the all-time wow. best baseball hats. I remember those from Instagram. Which I, yes, my sister yes. made for us. Aww. My sister made that. She's a costume designer, and she made that Star Trek expert hat, and we put it on the person who knew the least about Star Trek <laughs> as a joke. <laughs> and I think Larry Nemechek, star, I think he saw her, and he was like, oh, are you a Star Trek fan? I, uh, do you, you think you know a lot? I'm Larry Nemechek. And she was like, oh, no. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Don't. Just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well hey, so wait, let, let, let's talk about that for a second, because uh, I, I'm curious, you know, the, there's two things at play here. You, First of all, you're putting together a diverse writer's room where you have people who know nothing about Star Trek, but they are strong comedy writers. You have other people who do know a thing or two about Star Trek, yourself being at the head of all of this. Mm-hmm. But then you're also fighting with the the extremely long lead time and inflexibility mm-hmm. of animation. You know, animation, you can't just necessarily... Yeah, you, you can tweak yep. some things right up until the end, but you can't just go like, ooh, wait, I want to create a filler scene that serves this no, purpose. Yeah. So you've got people you need to bring up to speed. Then along the way, as you're writing and producing this, do you find yourself in midstream going like, oh, we really need to go this direction instead? <laughs> because you're not hearing from fans yet. They, haven't, right. they won't see it for months. I you mean, know? the the number one thing about the fans is uh, I don't care what they think because I'm right. Um, because yeah, no, I mean that, that's you know, your prerogative. Absolutely, that's the thing. Is like yeah. nobody wants a show feeling like it was written by committee, right? So all I yeah, can do is right. say I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Like when I find another mm-hmm. Star Trek person, I like like my my shoulders stop tensing where I'm like, oh, this person likes Worf. I'm so happy. We can just talk about things I like. And and I've like made friends because I've even made friends after college where when I lived in Chicago for a year and I, I, I went to Cubs games nonstop. I grew up in Chicago too. And I had one friend who loved the Cubs and loved Star Trek and we would love to get drunk and be like, okay, who on this year of start of, of, of the Cubs on the starting lineup, who would be who on the Enterprise D? Like those kind of <laughs> friends of being like, oh yeah. God. And so awesome. all I can do, like I'm not really worried about the feedback as much because I have such a personal investment in this show that I can only hope that other people love Star Trek the same way. Like I can't, I can't make an animated show that is basically made and written for people between the ages of you could stretch down to like 12 maybe, but really like 14 to 45, 14 to 50. Like mm-hmm. if you're a fan of Star Trek, you pro- you might not fit into that age range and you might turn this show on and be like, this show is loud. Like the show <laughs> is fast, you know? And like, by the way, if they turned on Steven Universe or if they turned on Adventure Time or Rick and Morty or Simpson, you know, like this, yeah. 
I've seen some people say this is the first time they've watched an animated show. And this might not be for them, you know? Like, um, but that being said, unfortunately, I can't make the show that broad. I have to make it really specific. I have to make it what it is, and I have to make it something that pleases me and the other, and the other kind of tight-knit circle of people that are writing it and are living with these characters and are planning them out for multiple seasons. And you see a lot of people who are like, you know, I saw a lot of people online being like they saw the trial episode, and they were like, this should have been the first episode. Why wasn't this the first episode? And I, the first thing I thought was, really, a clip show, a fake clip show should be the first episode? You cuckoo bananas. And then the second thing was, it took us writing seven episodes to think of that episode. Mm-hmm. Like, we had right. to live with those characters and get there. And that episode wouldn't have made any sense unless you guys had lived with those characters and gotten there. Um, you know, same thing with the movie episode. Like, the movie episode was a treat that we got to, like, we knew we wanted to do something about Mariner. And I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to hash out a little bit of, like, her understanding herself. And I knew that I wanted to do a animated version of The Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe, like, in TNG. Like, because that felt comic booky and fun and animated and vibrant. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the times with animation... Like, you, you look at stuff seasonally, and what you do is less like the fan feedback and more like, you know, we started writing season two in March. I've already written the finale, and mm. what we did is we sat down and rewatched the whole season, and we were like, what did we learn about the characters? Mm. You know, like, what did we not accomplish? So there's an episode, second season, where literally Tendi runs into a room with Mariner, and it's like, hey, Dr. Tana just gave me this thing to do. I want you to come with. And she's like, me, not Rutherford? And Tendi's like, yeah, why? Is that weird? And Mariner's like, yeah, wait, have we ever done something together? And Tendi's like, no, we haven't. That's why I think we should. And Mariner's like, well, that's kind of a glaring omission. And that's like us making fun of ourselves. You know. And then there's another thing of like you fall in love with with characters because like you hear the voice cast like finally gets all done with it. And then like so Paul Shear as Billups like gave us a million ideas to do funny stuff with him because we just hadn't heard him yet. And when we heard him in the role, we have an episode about Billups that is so funny. I, I want to do, like, spin-off novels about it because it makes me laugh so nice. hard. Um, He's got to fill up memory but, beta with Billups stories. Oh, yeah. just memory Billups. Like, let's go yes. wild. Um, but, yeah, the you know, some of the fan stuff is like, you know, y- you can't be aware of how everybody thinks about everything all the time. And, the you know, there are things that are slow rolling, too, where people are like, why can't they figure this stuff out? Or why isn't this show have more homosexuality in it and all this stuff? And it's like, guys, it's coming. Like, it's only been six episodes. You know, I there's this one YouTube reviewer who I really, really like, but I don't want to name check her because I I don't want her to know I'm watching. Um, And because I want her to keep being honest because she's kind of my barometer where she really, really gets the show. And she... When she has problems with it, I'll be like, yeah, she's right about that. Like, there's one person who I kind of, like, take – because she's kind of in my head a little bit. And they're – just the way that she's responding to the show, I think, is, like, you know, she'll be like – she'll be like, oh, I I wish they would do this, but I'm going to see if it's coming Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, bless her heart for giving us the opportunity to find it in the show instead of being like, hey, we're already jam-packing every episode with so much stuff that if we got everything done right up at the top, there'd be nothing to do. You know, like, let's... Like, I think in the finale, people are about to see, I like... I like that the secret is out about Mariner and her mom because it gave us something else to play with second season. You know, that was... That was was a... 
that was a thing that I thought in the pilot felt great. It's a great pilot moment to make you understand those characters. And I had a lot of fun in Moist Vessel, like having them argue and Don Lewis is so funny. And Tawny is obviously a star. Like, like we are insanely lucky to have Tawny. She is the whole heart of the show is, is, is all the blood that is pumped through the show comes from her heart. Like it is, she's so amazing and her and Jack and, and gosh, no, you know, Noel and 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 huge are just like are so funny and smart. It's hard to be funny and smart, you know. Yeah. Is there? It's hard by to the be way, funny and optimistic, and it's hard by to the not way, be Mike, cynical. Yeah, yeah, that was a really nice thing to say about uh, Ashley Robinson on uh, Mission Log Live. <laughs> as far as your favorite YouTube reviewer of uh, Lower Decks, that was really I that was well placed. <laughs> that was well placed. Um, I will say, though, you know, not we... telling someone is the right thing, because the minute I knew someone was watching our Flash reviews, boy, did we stop doing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, ah. You know, Mike, one thing I wanted to ask you, there's a quote um, that John Cleese said, and he says that nothing will stop you from being creative so effectively as the fear of making a mistake. So when you are finally, you know, when you finally had your pitch and you had the green light and you had your writer's room and you were staring at that blank board and you were trying to timeline out and figure out what you wanted to do and where your flow chart was going to go, what was the, what was the biggest hurdle that you had to get through? Was it, am I going to, are, are our writers going to put in too many references? Do we feel like we're going to be leaning on too much history? Is it going to be too funny? Like, where do you get over that initial fear of, if I second guess everything that the fandom wants me to do, I'll never get off of dead center. So what was that moment for you? And so writers? for me, <clears throat> I think that's a smart question because you don't know what the show is when you write the pilot. The pilot is to prove there's a show there, right? You don't have the whole season figured out. You don't have the whole series figured out yet. If you're lucky, you have character dynamics figured out like Mariner and Boimler. Like I really like that Mariner and Boimler are both very capable, but both very flawed. And a big theme of Lower Decks is we've seen Star Treks about non-flawed people, about people who are the best of the best. But we haven't seen people who get mad about their mom and, and do a holodeck to kill the whole ship. And even then, it's like Barkley kind of did that in a grosser way. So it's still technically – a lot of our room is, is it still technically Star Trek? You know, we have a lot of people who are like, and actually, they did kind of do a version of that. And that's when it starts to click into place sometimes. Um, but you're not always supposed to agree to these characters. The moment – for me, I mean, the headline of this show for me is, holy f***, I got a Star Trek show. You know, like that, that, there was no world in my head, and I said it like multiple times in my book. I'm like, listen, I'm never going to get a Star Trek show, so I made this book instead, you know? And that's what TNG Season 8 was for me, too, because they don't give guys like me Star Trek shows. They give people who make movies they give people who can run 20 like who can make 26 episode seasons of a 40 minute show and it, and 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 they can do it for years and years and 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 I can't do that like I grew up for in making adult swim shows where it was hard to make 10 episodes but every episode had to be somebody's favorite you know and the scary thing norman for me was we got the show picked up I hired this amazing you know writers writers room of Animation writers, drama writers, comedy writers, Star Trek writers, like all these people mixed together. And then we were doing a thing where every time we met, we would we would all watch the same Star Trek that night as if it was being broadcast. We were all catching it. Awesome. And then we all talked about it the next day like like it was it had just aired. And a lot of the people who had seen it would be the first time seeing it. And they would add an amazing element of conversation 
because the things that they would be responding to would be things that maybe we had forgotten that we liked or disliked about an episode because we had seen it 20 or 30 times. Um, for me, the kind of the thing on Lower Decks that I've never done on another show, not on Rick and Morty and not on, not on Solar or anything else I've worked on, is I would often, my usual move is we don't stay past like 6, 6.30. Like a lot of showrunners run late. They work, they get their creative juices fl- like flowing late at night. I start to stress out that I'm not seeing my kids and my wife, and I know that we're going to have diminishing returns. So usually the room breaks, and sometimes we even break at five. Like, if we get enough done that day, I'll, like, assign a little homework, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, go live your life. And then come back tomorrow and be happy and funny and not miserable and tired. <laughs> what? Like, I think we get fun. Yeah. Well, like, sometimes you get great comedy out of misery where people are like, oh, if I'm funny, they'll let me go. Like, a lot of shows do that. You know? Like, and then other times you get comedy out of people, like, genuinely being excited to be there. And Lower Decks was the first time, Norman, where... I would let the writers go, and then I would put in my headphones and put on music I liked, and I would be the only person in the office. The writer's assistant would be gone, and I would pull this weird move that I've never done with anything else where I would pull my hoodie up over my head with music in my ears, lean my head against the whiteboard, and just go, what the f*** am I doing? Like, what am I doing? What do I want this show? Your writer's assistant put that on Instagram when you could be in the same room together, (laughs) please. Right. And I was like, I was like, what do I want this show to be? What would be, I was like, I got a two season order. If these are the only 20 episodes of Star Trek I ever get to write, how can I be the most proud of it? You know? And the, the writers would come in the next day and there would be three or four ideas on the board that had happened after they left of me looking like the grudge with my forehead against the whiteboard. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if somebody walked in, like if a, if like a janitorial staff walked in or something and saw that, I probably looked like the ring and they were like, oh, like, <laughs> um, and, and from that, what we ended up figuring out is that first season had to be a mix of, of the tone of the show being from the B stories of Star Trek, that that's that other Star Trek shows, little stories are what our big stories are, are, are tonally based around. And then not, not giving people something like wanting it to be vibrant, wanting it to be funny, wanting it to be beautiful, like getting all these things in, you know, like Badgie was a big swing because I was like, nobody's going to want this guy. And I think he's hilarious. You know, like the thing you were most surprised to get a positive response to because people love him. Yeah. And perhaps merch. I was like, (laughs) the night Badgie was coming out, I called my producer and I was like, brace for impact. Here it comes. Badgie. (laughs) People are going to hate him. And Badgie was like literally a drawing of mine. I drew on the glass door being like, guys, we got to write, we got to write an episode about this. And they're like, who's that? I'm like, he's Badgie. um, And I was like, nobody wants Rick and Morty in their Star Trek show. And he's a little, he's edging a little, like we were still finding that balance all season. But so the B story tone, and then once I realized, once I had that moment of these might be the only 20 episodes I get to ever do of this show, what are the episodes I would have done three seasons in after I was careful that I should do now? Like a big movie holodeck episode, a crazy trial, like the, trying to explain the trial episode to the network where they're like, so wait, is it a Rashomon? I'm like, it's not a Rashomon. They're like, but it's a trial. And I'm like, it's not actually a trial. They're like, but it's a trial episode. I'm like, that's correct. And they're like, but there's no trial happening in your trial episode. And I was like, 
you are completely right. (laughs) (laughs) That's the subversion of expectations. That's why that episode works so well. I know, but it's hard because it's like you only have 22 minutes and like it's a first season show. Like they were dealing with me wanting to do third season ideas like right off the bat. But again, like there's 700 episodes of Star Trek. You guys are smart. Like Star Trek viewers are smart. Animation viewers are smart. Like it always pays off to try to feed towards people who are smart viewers, who are active, leaning forward viewers, who are pausing the screen and calling me out when there's one too many pips. The, um, <laughs> Not that that's ever happened. And, no, that never happened. Uh, no, never, no, never. no. We, we, have a, we have a fix for that, season two. The, um, <laughs> we, have in, we have an in-universe uh, fix for pip problems, I season can't two. Wait. But, <laughs> Uh, Tawny, Tawny recorded it yesterday and was crying, laughing, and she was like, Mike, no. And I was like, yeah, 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 we're doing it. Um, but, um, uh, but the first season, I mean, this is the longest answer to your very simple question, Nolan, is, Norman, excuse me, is I'm looking at a, a picture of, uh, of uh, Nolan North right next to a picture of Norman. Oh, uh, uh, is, um, is, first, is all of these episodes are the greatest hits of Star Trek to me. Like Moist Vessel is like, oh, it's got a it's got a ship full of alien mummies and cryo chambers that didn't work and and we're gonna Genesis device the Cerritos. Like mm-hmm. that that's awesome to me. You know? And like the second episode the first episode was get to know the the premise of the show. The second episode was let's do a tour of the ship and let's do a tour of the species you can see. So Mariner and Boimler are on a planet that was like the, I called it like the O'Hare of planets, where it's all these different aliens have little, like, Chinatowns kind of, of like a little Risa and a little Kronos and a little this and a little that, a little Andoria town. Meanwhile, Rutherford is on the ship, and he's switching, you know, his story is about trying to find a new gig, but it's also a sneaky tour of the Cerritos for somebody who might never have seen Star Trek before and being like, look, here's engineering, here's security, here's, you know, here's what command might be training for. And that episode, some people are, are, some people love that episode, some people don't dig it, but it does an amazing job of, by the time the first two episodes are done, in less time technically than one episode of TNG or Deep Space Nine, you've gotten four to six different stories You've met 100 characters, and you understand the world of the show completely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little Brechtian. Like, you can kind of see our our gears working a little bit in those two episodes. But they're still super fun. I love that speech Boimler gives about, I may as well leave Starfleet and go and work on a research asteroid, and one day we're going to get killed by <laughs> alien bugs, and they're not going to get there in time, and they're only going to find out what happened to me because they're going to find out the final shaky moments of my video log. And, like, it's, like, such a perfect Starfleet moment. <laughs> and... Yes. Um, so yeah, first season, that's what we figured out. That was the, it was me staying there late at night being like, d- deciding for myself, not what a room full of writers needed to decide was, what are the greatest hits of Star Trek to me? Like, what are the things that I love about Star Trek that I wish I could have done, you know, that I wish I could have been a part of? And then what is this show's version of those things? You, you said something really interesting a moment ago where you're talking about um, the of like doing a season three episode in season one you know you you have a vast knowledge of star trek you assume that your audience does and they're smart enough to kind of keep up with you now that gets us to the finale 
of season one. And uh, yeah. we've already presumably at the beginning of this show uh, said that this is going to be full of spoilers. Okay, this good. is something that I, I have to ask you about because, yeah, look, uh, all of season one, you've managed to balance out the Star Trek morals, meanings, messages. You've managed to fit in comedy. You've managed to world build a bit, make it all feel like it fits very smoothly into that late 24th century Star Trek period. Thank you. There is a big tonal shift in episode mm -hmm. 10 of season one. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, people die who I was not expecting to die. I and truly in a large scale. I saw that. Did you? Yeah. I've gotten some emails from I've gotten some emails from people I know who have gotten the review copies who are not happy with me right now. Oh, but now see, there here's has the thing. I wouldn't say figure. that. I'm, yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would not say that I'm not happy with it. I, I'm extremely impressed that that show goes to as many dark places as it does, raises the stakes as much as it does. So what's the deal here? You, you're cranking along with the first nine episodes and you just go mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know what? I need mm -hmm. to raise the stakes again. So I, no, so I know, do. It, I'm glad you asked this right here because it's, again, one of my greatest hits is we had gotten this far into the season and I was like, we need my headline for the finale needed to be, it has to feel like a finale. And I was like, what did we not do this season that feels like a greatest hit to me? And what I wanted was an episode that had something to say. Like, that's a greatest hit of Star Trek to me. That not every episode has something to say, but this episode had to have something to say. Which is, and this is heavy spoilers, so please turn off the podcast if you haven't <laughs> seen it. But, you know, at the time we wrote it, and unfortunately continuing now, there is a problem in the world where history is repeating and the forces of darkness and of fascism and of populism and all these different things that are not good for people and humanity are kind of on the rise. And it's not just America. It's like all across Europe and all across the world. Like there's all these strong men and you know, the theme of that episode is if you aren't vigilant, if you don't, you can't just solve something and then say it's solved. You have to constantly be re-upping it. You constantly have to make sure that these things aren't gaining traction because they're nefarious. And so the the distillation of that was the Packlets. Mm -hmm. Is we were like, look, there, I I think the Packlet episode is insane. Like <laughs> it is insane that it exists. And the first time I saw it, I woke up the next day and I was like, I think I dreamed a fake Star Trek episode. <laughs> and <laughs> About about aliens that pretend to be stupid and trick trick the the trick the Federation is stealing their Geordies. And it's it it's always been a touchstone for me, that episode, because it feels insane to me. Like I it always is surprising to me. And Riker's solution is so funny in it to me. And and so I was like, let's take an episode that is insane that it exists, that is about obviously like people that are that are not intelligent, that are not Starfleet, but still have power, and let's give them power. Like, let's see what happens if on our show, it's not the Romulans or the Klingons. It's not the strongest. It's not the smartest or the most devious. It's not the Cardassians. But what if it's these idiots that just <laughs> got too powerful? Like, what if they got too powerful? They'd still be dangerous. So they had to have, they had to be scary, you know, and they had to have, they had to have stakes and the characters had to pay a price. And so, you know, that episode starts with the thematic going back to a planet from TOS for second contact, basically like the, another theme of lower decks is second is going back is, mm -hmm. is visiting after the important people quote unquote went there. 
So we extended that to we had never been to a planet on Lower Decks that had already been visited in another Star Trek show. So on the finale, I was like, let's do it. Let's go to, you know, is it Beta 5? Beta 4? Beta Uh, beta 3. Thank you. Sorry. There's a lot of betas out there. Uh, There's so many. All the betas. Let's go to Beta 3. And what if they had just started doing that again? You know? And the, the question is, well, why would they do that? And it's like, well, it's been a little while. People seem to just do it again these days, you know? Right. Yeah. And the greatest hits can be played bad or good, and we're in a bad state. So, you know, while Freeman is complaining about, you know, maybe Starfleet Starfleet's protocol being of, of they like to have a hands-off approach, that sometimes you have to have a hands-on approach. And you see that in Star Trek shows a lot. And then that really landing with the pack, with the Packlet stuff. And so, you know, I personally am troubled with, with our country right now and the way things are going, and I, I have a Star Trek show, and I wanted to say something, so uh, I decided to do it. And the, I, hope, I, hope that people, I hope that people dig it because the packlets are a big problem for, for the Federation for a second season of Lower Decks. I also want to say as an ardent enterprise fan and defender thank you for that joke it was so good uh, after i was crying i was screaming i thought that was so i was like i can't believe they went there it's so funny i also thought you, it was you're talking to three enterprise fans for sure yeah uh, I, uh, you're talking to four enterprise hey. fans here all right yeah. i don't think there's any bad series of star trek there never will be because mm-hmm. you're going to be spending time with the characters mm-hmm. that's no like, bad episode, great episode, okay episode. You're going to be hanging with Data and Jordy. Who cares? You know? Oh, Jordy. <laughs> I love him. You were about to say something, Ashley. Oh, I was going to say, I thought it was interesting that you talked about, like, the the doing a finale and the import of a finale. Because before you came into this call, uh, John and I were talking about the episode. And I said, it felt like a 90s Trek finale. Yeah. <laughs> so that was so right. cool. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You're only the second it. person I've been able to talk to about it who hasn't been working on it. So that's great to hear. I'm so honored. Yeah. <laughs> it, I just it, love the it, fact it, that, abs- that it, it, in my headcanon now, you have the pack leads and then you have... A, a certain leader of the free world kind of sharing the same space. Yes. You know? <laughs> it's a dig on the backwards, yeah. honestly. They just want to go. The Packlets have the best words. The they best do. words. They we have the greatest to make words. it go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And, and by the, the best way, ship, the most tremendous ship ever. It's the fastest <laughs> you've ever seen. No one's ever seen a ship oh like mine. Uh, I ho- wait. <laughs> what did you guys think when that when when the Titan showed up? That's what I'm really curious. I, I was about to say quick. you canonize the Titan, uh, which <laughs> is great. I mean, it's a beautiful looking ship. Uh, of course, the voice talents are going to be just right on par yeah. because they are. That day uh, recording they, with them was yeah. the best. I made Frakes sign my Horgon. Not gonna no, well, and I made, made a tiny Horgon <laughs> joke too. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, that was I nice. screamed when I'm... the tit- when they said Titan, and then when it showed up, I was like, "Oh my god!" And then yeah, that's when my I husband came to the room and was like, "What's happening?" And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> "That's our one piece of of throwback music in the whole series too." Because I was I like, was "You can't have you Frank was... show up without his Superman theme." You know? Yeah, <laughs> well, was that re-recorded? Because you said that you're using live music on the show. Because uh, that, that was. That was the one piece that was not re-recorded, but we recorded original material to mesh it into ours Mm. to kind of... Nice. Because I believe that piece was actually from um, First Contact, 
and they had a huge orchestra for that movie, and ours is smaller. But yeah. I think we were able to. It, it didn't feel too out of place to you guys, right? No. Like it that was, was another perfect. late addition. The music on perfect. the show is out of this world, and I think you're of yeah. of all thank new you. Trek we've seen so far. It's my favorite theme, also my favorite title sequence. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I pushed I, that, for that title sequence for so long. They were like, "We want a thirty-second title sequence." I was like, "Or, or, <laughs> eight-second title sequence." Oh man, with the with the little worm on the back, I love it. I love the worm. I was I was telling John this when we were talking about Eagle Moss. It's like, uh, if Eagle Moss makes the Cerritos, which I hope they do, uh, they should have yeah. the Cerritos they will, they will. and the stand the of that should be the bug. Yes. Oh, the yes. bug! That's such a good idea, <laughs> right? I would love to have your Cerritos go towards all your Eagle Moss Borgs and then just turn away. No turn around. Yeah. <laughs> See, but that's uh, so. I I love it when uh, when lower decks uh, does more subtle humor, and what I think is great <laughs> about that opening sequence is that you can sit there and watch it and honestly not pay attention to the story that's happening. You can watch and go like, oh, look, these are lovely starscapes. Everything is rendered beautifully. <laughs> I love every time we see Space Dock in Lower Decks because oh, it, is gorgeous. it is yeah. gorgeous. And well, it is gorgeous. We're like standing on awesome. the shoulders of giants with that. Like that uh, design yeah, yeah. is so amazing. The design's yeah. so good, but every time you see it in this show, it's got such dimensionality to yeah. it and it's great. So the music is just killer. But then it's like, okay, now I can actually watch it for the jokes. And just seeing, just seeing that pause as the Cerritos comes up on that Romulan Borg attack, and you just hold, yes. you just wait for a moment. Yeah. No, this no, is not for them. This is a yeah. bigger. This is a job that's bigger than us. We should report yeah. this. Yeah, we should absolutely report it. Yeah. <laughs> But stuff and like, like that had, is brilliant. It, it, yeah. If you had something to say, like Thank your, you. um, say if you wanted to like lean certain fans that have been on the fence about it and they haven't really wanted to try it, what would you say to somebody like that, like at a convention, if they walked up to you and said, you know, I'm not sure if animation's my thing. I love Star Trek. Clearly, you love Star Trek. No one wants to set out to make a, a, a project that's not going to hit on all notes. But I'm just not quite there. What would you tell them in 30 seconds or less and say, you know what? Give my show a try. This is what I think you'd like from it. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd say this is a love letter to Star Trek, that this is almost like, think of it as like a music video or a song. You know, like, if you want to watch something that is made by people who love the same stuff you love and are are kind of trying to make something that that feels new but also doesn't undo anything you liked from it. Um, I'd also say, like, we're probably one of the first shows in a long time that has all the same problems that the original series had when they were making it, <laughs> where... <laughs> Because the original series, it was like, who did Roddenberry... Like, Roddenberry had to hire a bunch of sci-fi guys. They had to figure out the type of sci-fi they were doing. They had to figure out the look of the show. They were making it for the first time. And ever since then, every Star Trek show has had to figure out, okay, what do we do that hasn't step, that doesn't step on what existed? But they kind of have a baseline. Like, they, they, you know, they switch it up with, like, just, you know... Every one of them switches it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Ours was kind of like what the fuck are we doing? You know, like, how do we do this thing and make it good, but also make it surprising? So I don't know. I would tell everybody there's so much Star Trek that I'm not telling anybody that, that Lower Decks is the one they have to watch or that, that I would be bummed out if they didn't watch it. Like, if anybody watches Lower Decks, I'm so thrilled. Like, we're not here to supplant anything. I love all those shows. So, you know, <clears throat> unlike any other show I've worked on, if Lower Decks isn't for you, then good news there is more for you to watch, and it's <laughs> yeah. going to be great. Yeah, yeah. And if Lower Decks is for you, then I would say please keep watching other Star Trek shows too because that's what we're doing, and it 
the ride for second season and 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 you know fingers crossed hopefully for more seasons after that is is going to be a blast that's so eloquent when people say they don't want lower decks i just tell them that they're wrong <laughs> you're, you're so nice about it <laughs> sum it up in so few words that's great I'm, yeah. big, I clearly believe in minimalism as everybody listening cannot yeah. see from my background <laughs> it's hard though because i see people watch lower decks and they're like it's so funny because they'll sit down and they're gonna be like i'm gonna i'm gonna hate this and then they watch it and they're like hated it and i'm like what are you doing yeah. guy like, yeah, yeah what are you doing with your life that was 22 minutes where you could have accidentally liked something but <laughs> right. you know i think that i think tribalism is really strong i think we all know that we all see that and in a way star trek it's a it's a double-edged sword like the tribalism is where you find your friends mm-hmm. but it's also why we can you know we all love to argue like this thing we all love we're always arguing what's the best that's not Constantly. the best captain. This is the best captain. That's not the best movie. Right. That's a bad one. And it's like, oh, didn't you love this thing? It's like, yeah, I love it. That's why I'm saying which one is the bad one. Like, <laughs> it's a weird yeah. part yeah. of us, you know? And yeah. it's easy to punch down on Lower Decks because you're like, oh, it's fast. Oh, it's it's not the right uniforms. I think they should all have our uniforms. I love our uniforms. I, I, will, <laughs> I love the uniforms. And I love the detail yeah. of the delta on the bottom of the shoes, of the boots. Makes Everybody oh, wants that. That's right. The shoes. Yes. Right. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, listen, Star Trek fans are going to Star Trek. Like, <laughs> hopefully they keep my big thing. You know what the big victory, if, if, if Lower Decks does well, whatever that barometer is, whatever that, whatever that means, I would love if we didn't get more animated Star Trek comedies, if somebody said, hey, McMahon loved Star Trek and he loves making animated comedies, look at this great show he made. Who else loves Star Trek that is good at making shows? So we start to get more and more different personal Star Trek shows. Mm. That's the dream. That's what I would love to see. Because you guys and I all lived through the dark times where there were no Star Trek shows, you know? And then there was, like, some Star Trek movies, and we were like, yay, something, you know? (laughs) And now it's like, okay, there are so many Star Trek shows. Everything I've seen and read from strange new worlds people are going to lose their minds at that show it is awesome like the tones of picard and discovery and the stuff that discovery is doing this next season like we've we it's insane that those are options on the menu for us and if that keeps happening if lower decks is so different from those things that if there's room in in trekkie's hearts for lower decks there's going to be room for all this other stuff and that gets me really really excited let me ask you this. It, 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 it's getting dark. It's getting late. We can't. It's getting dark for in hours here. and hours. Sorry. No, no. And he closed the blinds uh, at the start of the interview. <laughs> Shades of the finale. Boring. Shades of the finale what, are surrounding Yeah, that. really. What, what, one of the important things that I want to uh, make sure we cover here is, you know, it, it's sort of the, the hallmark of Mission Log since we started that we analyze Star Trek based around the idea of morals, meanings, messages. What is, we all agree Star Trek is great. We all agree that Star Trek is important. We all love it. But when we look at it episode by episode, series by series, the, the thing that speaks to the audience at the end of the day is sort of the heart, the philosophy. So I want to know, as a Star Trek fan now creating Star Trek, what are the messages that you took away from those old shows that you say, oh, but I have to have that in Lower Decks. It isn't Star Trek if I don't have this. Yeah, I'm actually very different, I think, from everybody else. I don't love Star Trek because of the moral platitudes or from the ethics or from the science of it. 
I like Star Trek because it really speaks to me about the love that friends can have and and the characters that exemplify that. I I love Kirk and Spock. Like I think those two are very cool friends. I love Data and Jordy. I love friendships that are based in the love of a shared belief in in nerdy stuff. Like all my nerdy friends. Like like Data and Jordy on our show is Tendy and Rutherford. And those two accidentally when I was writing those characters, originally I was like, oh, Rutherford, maybe he could be an interesting way to see like what the dating scene on, on a Starfleet ship would be like. And then every time I tried to write that plot, I was like, wow, I really don't care about that. Like, I just, I can't make myself care. You know, there's this dating plot yeah. in the first episode. And, and I just truly could not make myself care. Like, who cares? I don't want to see Seinfeld on a, on a Starfleet ship where somebody can't find love kind of thing. It just doesn't feel Starfleet to me. And at the moment when I was like, wait, what if Rutherford's date goes wrong because the girl he's seeing doesn't have quite the same love for the particular part of the engineering of the ship that he does? And then when he's talking to Tendi about it, she's completely on the same level. Those two have fallen in nerd love. Like, they're in nerd with each other. And yeah, watching, watching those two... Oh, watching those two... Be in like they're in kind of a nerd they or won't they across the season and like exploring <laughs> that and and it not being a sexual love but it being like a very deep love of this this world that we all love was really important to me and Mariner and Boimler are are enemies and are in love with each other's spirit and Mariner cares so much about Boimler and believes in him becoming a captain but is so bad at expressing that in a way that isn't torturous. And Boimler is so desperate, but also is so true to his friends and so true to Starfleet. I, you know, in a way, like, Boimler's kind of a proto-Picard and Mariner's kind of a proto, a proto-Janeway, proto-Kirk, you know? Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's all these different, like, like, I'm a very big believer in... You know, the person you are while you're learning is is just like it becomes a mosaic of who you are when when you've gotten to where you need to be. You know, like nobody is nobody's born who they're going to be, and that's a big part of Lower Decks. And every season of every series, every episode of Star Trek that's come before Lower Decks, I'm there for the characters. I'm not there for the I'm not there for the 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 morality plays or for the metaphors or for the black and white cookie aliens. Like I'm <laughs> like that's all window dressing for me. That's stuff that's I'm interested to see the characters deal with. I'm there to see Jordy and Data be best friends. I'm there to see the Cisco's be a family in a really weird time in a really weird situation. I'm there for Jake and Nog. Like I I'm there for Odo trying to find his place in the world. That's the other thing is Odo and and Spock and Data like trying to find your place in the world, trying to figure out who you are, taking that character trait that's on every Star Trek, you know, even Seven of Nine. Oh, the Doctor from Voyager. I love the Doctor. Yeah. That's the other show I would have made is just an entire show about the Doctor. I love him. And I I, 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 I just, I, I wanted to take that friendship love, that, that earnest, non-cynical, like, friendship love, and take that as a theme and put it into a show of people that haven't gotten to where they need to be yet. And that's kind of the, the bedrock of Lower Decks. Just because I like that about that's the reason I love Star Trek. Yeah. 
Well, hey, uh, Bob Picardo, I'm sure, would love to do a show all about the doctors. Please, so. Bob Picardo, yeah. you're the funniest. <laughs> well, right? Sure, we can make he that He fights happen. Nazis unjustified if anyone needs something to watch right now. It's really great. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, Norman, Ashley, any other uh, thoughts, questions before we wrap it up? I don't know. Mike's Ashley. done, has provided so much wonderful insight, I think. Yeah. I also yeah. think we kept him later than we maybe promised. <laughs> no, it's fine. Listen, I don't care, guys. Like, I, I, in case it's not clear, I really like to talk about Star Trek, and I really like to talk about Lower Decks. <laughs> and I'm happy to do so because I remember when I was writing TNG Season 8, all this stuff was mystifying to me, too, you know? And I never thought hmm. I would get here like this, and I would love to, for some geeky person out there who thinks that this could never be something they get to do, maybe this is the podcast they listen to that makes them go, or maybe I'll get to do it someday, you know, and demystifying some of that stuff. And also just talking about like that it's coming from a place of love and fun and, and that it's important to me. Like, I think that's important for people to hear. Like there's a lot of people screaming different things in their opinions. It helps. It helps that I, I'm not going to respond to everybody on the internet, but it's nice to be able to say the way I feel about stuff. The only last thing that I, I, I would love to be able to do is like when this whole um, when this whole dynamic of what's happening um, on a global basis is lifted uh, eventually, you know, and we get back to conventions. I would love <laughs> to sit around with all of us, Mike, with you, oh, Chris Kula, and just have drinks, talk Star Trek, Kula and Tani, and just everybody. Yeah. You know what you my know. and Tani's dream is? We keep talking about this. Is when Lower Decks first started airing, the uh, episode two came out. And there were a bunch of people tweeting at me and Tani, this show is trash. You guys don't know anything about Star Trek. This is a show made by <laughs> people who don't like Star Trek for people who hate Star Trek. That was a big tweet going around. But who then the, wow. same, but then the <laughs> same day, the same day people were tweeting that, there were Klingon cosplayers who build and make their own and learn, learn the Klingon language that go to every convention who were tweeting at me and Tani going, next convention we're going to drink together. Ah, like, there you go. I was like, Tani, who do you think understands the show more? <laughs> the people who say we don't like Star Trek or the Klingon guys who want to get drunk with us? And she's like, oh, I want to drink with the Klingons so bad. So next convention, I want to yell kapla and I want to drink from a stein with like a bone horn sticking out of the side. And I'm, I'm yes. ready to, I want to talk targs and I'm ready it's to go. It's the best party you know? at like a, yeah. hey, It truly <laughs> is. I, I realize you've only been in the you know TV industry for most of your professional career, but <laughs> clearly, clearly, what you don't understand is that the only way to have a successful show is to hire people who hate that thing oh, right. to yeah, make yeah, it yeah. for people who hate that thing as well. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? You know that's uh, th that's just the whole Nielsen ratings are like, was this hated <laughs> yeah. enough? Yeah, ah. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hey, I want to ask you about a really specifically nerdy thing, just yeah, to sort of uh, help wrap our, our minds around it. Good, good, good. Because I, I, I'm look. Usually, my eyes just roll into the back of my head when people start to talk about canon, and I just, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. care. I want a good story, right? There was something that I loved in the finale where they come back from Beta Three, and you see on the pad the mm -hmm. picture of Kirk and Spock in front yeah. of Landru, yeah. but it's yeah animated Kirk and Spock style. and it yeah. is TAS animated yeah. Kirk and Spock. Yeah. So I, I wonder if you could speak just a little bit to the idea of sort of where Lower Decks fits. Not, I mean, look, we understand the timeline, obviously. Yeah. We understand when it takes place, but like you had to make a decision on, mm -hmm. okay, the Star Trek universe is a thing. 
Yeah. But the Star Trek animated universe is a part of that too. Yeah. 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 Just what what's the thought process there? I mean, what's the I mean, the twenty three eighty was my target year because that was the last untouched pre Picard events of Picard kind of swatch of like five year mission that I could fill with a okay. lot of story. I the Berman era shows, you know, I those are the ones I grew up on. Those are Star Trek to me. Everything else, like TOS feels to me like what TAS feels like. You know, it feels like, oh, they're pressing crystals and they don't have they don't have like, you know, the exact right kind of stuff that I think defines Star Trek. But it's I mean, that's also bananas because it's the most Star Trek of it all. It was, you know, it was the Genesis. And part of what bridged that to me is the movies and the movies have a bunch of malarkey all the time that kind of bends and twists canon. But for me, I like to think of it as, you know, Lower Decks is a show about. Starfleet officers that love being Starfleet officers and that they consume stories about Starfleet officers the way we consume shows about Starfleet officers, which is why they are they are Star Trek fans within Star Trek, because they're not blazing new paths on the on the bridge yet. You know, they are like me when I graduated from college and was sweeping up bars and stuff for a living and then was watching Star Trek at night. You know, they are escaping in in these stories just like how we do. And so the original animated series, I like to think of like, I I, I like to think that the, that episode of Deep Space Nine where they went back to Trouble with Tribbles. Trials and Tribulations. Trials and Tribulations. That is the Rosetta Stone of understanding how modern Star Trek canon works. And that you can so in our in 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 our show and that's what i used is that the reason i put those two on the pad is I that i feel so vindicated right dude, now dude dude mike you have no idea you have no <laughs> I, we just covered trials and tribulations on mission log what a month ago something yeah. like that i feel so vindicated and <laughs> this was that, this was the truth bomb that norman dropped at the end of that episode and we got a lot of feedback about it let me tell you well, yes. that episode, what's great about that episode is it, it unifies these two extremely different eras of television into one cohesive story. And yeah. <laughs> I want to do that with everything. I, wanna, I want our characters to be talking about the movies and Enterprise and, and just everything all the time so that, that Lower Decks is almost this, like, I, I say this all the time, that Lower Decks is canon because... We try not to mess up canon. Like, we try not to say anything or do anything that says that anything that came before or after it in the timeline is wrong. Or that, you know, the uniforms are a little bit of, a, are a little bit of an adjust, except there are different uniforms across a huge Starfleet, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's uniforms that, like, the, obviously the Starfleet, Starfleet uniform guys are, like, in and out. But I just, for animation, you can't have that much dark material on somebody. Right. So, right. and there's a lot of different reasons for it. I just love that flap. It's just so great for acting to be like, don't open the flap, you know. Right. right. Um, <laughs> but, but like Trials and Tribulations, I'd like to think of Lower Decks as being almost this, like, this show that that because it's animated and because... We can bring in Frakes and Marina Sirtis, and they, they are, you know, 25 years younger or whatever, and they're on the Titan, which always existed. But, was, but like, the fact that you can look at a pad, like, if our guys go, if our guys went back in time to the, the first Enterprise, or I guess not the first Enterprise, but whatever, to TAS, 
the animation style they would be around, they would be redrawn in that style. Like that would right. be a that would be a a era change. That would be like that would be like the crew of the crew of the Enterprise going to Earth to kidnap a whale and dressing up like what they looked like then, you know, like yeah. that's yeah. and and the same way as in Trial and Tribulation. So for me, the more that we can not just stay out of the way of canon, but that the characters and the way we choose to draw stuff, because we've also been sneaking Kelvin stuff into mm-hmm. Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. And it's my mission to say, hey, everybody who thought Lower Decks was actually standing out from Star Trek, we're actually the <laughs> thing that combines all of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> the Nexus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and however we do that, and, you know... That's what really brings joy to me. That's it's it's fun and it's complicated, but we're having a blast doing it. And you know, trials and tribulations is the thing that kind of set that tone. You know, yeah, I'm floating seriously. Yeah, I'm yeah, with that <laughs> right now. for real. Well, I mean, it's it's very much akin to like seeing the you know mentioning that you you saw you know Kirk and Spock in the TAS. It's like seeing when when Spock Ambassador Spock left that picture for. For um, mm-hmm. Zachary Quinto Spock, and then you yeah. opened it up, you saw the Star Trek yeah. Five yeah. version of them. Yeah. It's like you're playing in universe, like you're playing that same type of dynamic in universe. And if you don't, I mean, if you don't shed a tear when that moment happens, then um, I think you're watching the wrong well, series. You yeah. know what else people won't like to hear, but is is also important to me, is Frakes watching Enterprise, Riker watching Enterprise. Like, yeah, yes, our yes. entire show. Yeah. Is Riker watching Enterprise? Like, mm-hmm. like they set in Enterprise that Starfleet officers can go watch Star Trek on the <laughs> holodeck. So right. guess what, guys? Right. We're gonna do that all They're the time. Doing it. <laughs> give me, give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. You know. <laughs> Thank you for ending with jazz. By the way, they, it's just about time. Yes, yes. Before you guys let me go, I should shout out that all the writers. Are amazing. The art team at Titmouse Animation. Like I didn't oh, talk enough. Yeah. I, I, there's too much to talk about. Like the art team at Titmouse Animation, Titmouse Vancouver. You know, uh, 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 Juno Lee and Barry Kelly and just everybody who's working on the show is just amazing. Our editors, our sound editors, like our, our mixer, Chris Westlake, who does all the music, who composes all the music, and I worked with on Solar Opposites, is the first person I met in Los Angeles. I have been dying to work with him forever. He's brilliant at composing. He composes everything originally for for every score he does. And I'm so lucky to get to work with him. And then I can't shout out enough the cast. Like, they really breathe life into it. So thank you guys for watching. And and I just... There's just not enough hours in a podcast to be able to to just... (laughs) To to shower love on everybody on the show. You know, it's it's the first time that I actually met Mike ever in any form and what a prince that guy is amazing you know he loves his fans he loves the show he loves the project he loves the people he works with I don't know what else to say but I was just absolutely astonished by every single word that came out of that man's mouth. Yeah. And even the expletives. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? It, and it's too bad that we, uh, we're, we're kind of putting uh, Lower Decks to bed now. This episode, of course, is in the main Mission Log feed. Uh, so if you haven't listened to everything in uh, the Mission Log live feed, 
please go get that. If you're in another country where you haven't gotten Lower Decks yet, but hopefully you will soon, watch all the episodes, <laughs> listen to uh, Mission Log Live coverage there. And then, Ashley, I'm, I'm sad now. We're, of course, recording this before your finale, uh, Mission Log Live, with sad us. Face. But sad at face. least we know there's a season two, so we have to have you back for that if not more often uh, before that date comes. Heck yes. Twist my arm. You both got my number. I'll be back anytime. <laughs> Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.